of the Gospel of John today. John chapter 4 is where we're going to begin. We're not going to stay there very long, but uh, we'll begin there. You might, you might remember John chapter 4 tells about Jesus uh, passing by from uh, Judea. He's going back to Galilee. And so he's passing through the region of Samaria. And so if you remember your geography, Judea is uh, a southern area. Jerusalem is down in that area. Galilee is up toward the north. And so that territory in between Galilee and Judea is Samaria, settled by the Samaritans, of course. And Jews and Samaritans really didn't get along very well. They didn't think highly of one another. And so here's Jesus, a Jewish man and his disciples, all Jews passing through this sort of uh, territory where they're not welcome. And Jesus becomes weary. He's tired. And he sits down at the well, the well of Jacob, to rest, to get him something to drink and to take refreshment. During that time, the disciples go into town to get something to eat. And while they're gone, a Samaritan woman also comes to a well. And so wells are places of a great deal of activity. They're, they're really kind of important in several Bible stories. Here's another episode that takes place at a well. So this woman comes, a Samaritan woman, comes to the well. She's come to draw water, of course, for herself, maybe for some in her family or some others. And so as she approaches the well, Jesus asks her to give him a drink of water. Well, she's a little bit surprised by that. Here's a Jewish man, and he's asking a Samaritan woman for some water. First of all, she's a Samaritan. She's a woman, and for maybe a man to approach a woman and to address a woman in that way might be a little unusual, but, but he does. And so she's, she's sort of surprised by that, and they begin to talk back and forth. They begin uh, and convert, to begin a, a conversation. Jesus tells her during the course of the conversation, now if you realize who it was that's talking to you, you would ask him for some living water. In other words, if you know who I am, if you knew who I am, well then you would ask me for living water. Well, that gets her attention, and she says, yeah, I'd love to have some of that living water. I wouldn't have to come all this way to draw water every day. And so, yeah, give me some of that water. And he begins, he really begins to do it, not in the way that she expected, but he begins to show her that he is the water of life, that he is the living water. She, in the course of all this, perceives that he's a prophet. You see that down in verse 19. I see, I see that you're a prophet. He has told her some information about herself that an ordinary man wouldn't have any way of knowing. And so she kind of, I can see that you're a prophet. And so she asks him a religious question. Says, you know, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, Mount Gerizim, there in, in Samaria. You, you people, you Jews, you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. She is convinced, ultimately, that he's the Messiah. She goes back to her town and tells the people of the town about Jesus. And they, then they all come out to, 
to talk to him as well. But I want to pick up on this idea that's expressed in verse 24 especially. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We got last week to try to put together some lessons that help us to think about our world in biblical terms, shaping our thinking by Scripture, thinking biblically. What, what, how should we think about the world around us? How should we think about events that take place in the world? When we watch the news and something happens, by what standards should we evaluate that? What principles should we use to make a decision about whether that's right or wrong or good and bad? And when it comes to our individual choices in our lives, again, how, how do we think about, what are we trying to accomplish in our life? How do we decide what we ought to do and what we shouldn't do, what's right and wrong, what's good and bad? And so shaping our thinking by Scripture, thinking biblically about life is what we're trying to, to take on. This morning I want to talk a little bit about the spiritual realm. What, what do you see when you look at the world? Uh, when you think about the world, what, what elements are, uh, does, does the world, uh, the things that are, what, what elements are there, what features are there to, to our existence, to our world? So I'm talk about the spiritual realm. So you notice that in this conversation, Jesus says, God is spirit. Or some versions may say God is a spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The Bible teaches, we're thinking biblically now, so and we talked last week about why we think biblically, why specifically do we think Scripture should shape our thinking. This is the Word of God. It gives us insight into truth, to what really is, how things really are. The Bible teaches that there is a physical realm, but there is also a spiritual realm that is every bit as real as the physical realm. In fact, in some ways, it may be even more real. Now, I'm not sure that's a good way to say it. It's either real or it's not real. <laughs> but, but the spiritual realm may be even more real than the physical realm. You see that reflected in the words of Jesus here. God is spirit. It's not material. It's not made of things that we encounter in this world. Nothing physical. Not made of flesh and bones. You remember in Luke chapter 24, after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus invites his disciples to look at his hands and his feet. And he says, oh, you know, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as I have, as he appeared to them after the resurrection. And so God isn't made of flesh and bone, not made of physical, chemical uh, elements the way we, we experience them in our world. But he is, he is real. Every bit is real, if not more real, than a physical human being. So I want to talk a little bit about the spiritual realm. We've already suggested that God is the greatest being in the physical realm. He is the supreme being in the spiritual realm. The words of Jesus... We just talked about, just mentioned, suggest this. God is spirit. In fact, one of the persons in the Godhead. And so you remember that God is, exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so God is a spirit. He's not made of material things. He's not physical, and so he can't be seen. 
John 1, verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. The Son has revealed Him, or the Son has declared Him. And so no one has seen God. He's not made of material that can be seen. In Colossians chapter 1, in verse 15, God is described as the invisible God. The invisible God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, God is described as uh, the, the one who no one has seen or can see. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 16. And so God is invisible. God, uh, we, we can't see Him. He, he doesn't appear to us as we see each other, as we see the physical things around us. He's a, what I call a spirit person, or you could say a spiritual person. Now, He is a person. Okay, He's not simply an object, an impersonal, an impersonal thing like this pulpit or this railing is impersonal. God is a person possesses the attributes and the qualities of a person. He has intellect, he has wisdom, he has will, he has all of those things, and he is in relationship, a personal relationship, in himself. And so the Father has a relationship with the Son. The Son has a relationship with the Father. The Father has a relationship with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit with the Father, and so forth. And so he has a personal relationship in himself and with his people as well. He loves. He becomes angry. He can be pleased, just as persons do. And so God is the supreme being, the greatest being in the spiritual realm. But there are other spiritual beings as well. Satan and his demons are figures in the spiritual realm as well. Again, not made of material things or flesh and blood and bones and things like that. But persons, every, in every, every sense, just as real as we are persons. Satan, known as the devil or the evil one, he's called the tempter as well. He's the chief malevolent being and enemy with God. So if God is the supreme being in the spiritual world. Satan, I've described as the chief malevolent being. He's evil. He's wicked. Now, it's important to note that he's not equal with God. And so it's not as though there is God who is, who is powerful and, and you have a force of evil over here who is equally as powerful and they're engaged in struggle back and forth. Now that's not the way it is. God is ultimately powerful, the supreme being. You have Satan who's lesser in power to God, but we would say the chief evil being or malevolent being in the spiritual world. He is the enemy of God. He seeks to destroy the work of God. He tries to persuade us to be unfaithful to God. He's the source of all evil and temptation in the world. We see that in Genesis chapter 3 when he comes to the first man and woman, initially the first woman, and tries to persuade her to violate or transgress the law of God. And so he's trying to destroy the work of God. He's the enemy of God. And he'll go to any length within his power to, to accomplish that. He inflicts terrible harm against Job. He inflicts harm on, on Paul in this thorn in the flesh called a messenger of Satan. He's the father of lies. He's a murderer from the beginning. He's the God of this world. He's going about seeking whom he may devour using his schemes and his fiery darts. All of those taking from one passage or another 
in Scripture. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 says that Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. And so Satan is a personal spirit being, not merely an evil influence in the world, but an actual spiritual person who's trying to draw people away from God and destroy the works of God. And he has his minions, he has his agents uh, called demons or unclean spirits or sometimes even angels. And so God has prepared a place for the devil and his angels, and a, a place of punishment in eternity. But there are other angels as well. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22 speaks about innumerable angels. How many angels are there? <laughs> innumerable angels. Don't know that we could count, count, count them all. And they are spiritual persons as well. They're able to communicate. They have intellect. They have will. In fact, we read in 2 Peter that some angels have chosen to sin and have been cast out. And so they're, they're these, these spiritual beings as well. They're angels. They're described as ministering spirits sent to do God's work on behalf of God's people. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14. Some angels have names. And so remember, Gabriel comes and, and announces the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus. And Michael is the archangel. And so there are these angels who are agents of God, servants of God. God uses them to accomplish His work in one way or another. Some of them have angels. They're, they're spirit persons, uh, just like we are, are persons. Now, they're spirit instead of flesh, but they, have, they, they possess personhood, if you want to uh, say it that way. All of these spirit beings have been created by God. They're, they're not eternal beings. They might be immortal beings in that once they're created, they don't go out of existence, but they're not eternal beings. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul says, By Him, by Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. And so all these spiritual beings, including Satan, have been created by God. Things on heaven, or things in heaven, things on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Now, God didn't create evil beings. And so He didn't create Satan to be an evil being. But remember we said that angels, spirit beings, have intellect, have will, are able to make choices. Some angels have chosen to sin, Second Peter tells us, and have been cast out of heaven. And so Satan would be a being something like that who's chosen to rebel against God, and so he's been cast out. At times through the course of human history, some of these spiritual beings have come into contact with human beings. And so, for example, uh, Gabriel announces the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus. And so Gabriel is coming into contact and speaking uh, to Zacharias and speaking to Mary about the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus. Angels appear at the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2 in verse 13. Angels, apparently in the form of human beings, of men, come to Abraham and tell him about the destruction of Sodom. An angel directed Philip to go down to Gaza. And so at times angels have appeared to men and have spoken with men, come into contact with men in that way. In the Garden of Gethsemane, an angel comes and ministers to Christ. Luke 24 and verse 43. 
I suppose the greatest example of a spirit being that has come into contact with human beings is the example of Christ Himself. When the Son of God took on human nature, including a human body, and interacted with human beings for a period of time in a very direct sort of way. And so human beings, physical human beings, have at times seen and heard spiritual beings as the spiritual beings have come into contact with them. So all of this simply teaches us that the spiritual realm exists. It's usually beyond our senses. We, we can't see it. We don't hear it. We can't measure it. We can't weigh it. And so usually it's beyond our, our senses. At times it's broken into the physical world. But again, it's just as real. The spiritual world is just as real as our world. Well, we are spiritual beings as well. We have a physical body, of course. We uh, exist now and live within the physical realm that was created by God. It's interesting to note or important to note that the physical realm is neither morally good or evil. The physical realm is not inherently evil. Our human bodies, our physical bodies are not inherently evil. You might remember that when God created the world, at the end of that, He looked at everything that He had made and it was very good. And so the world that was created was a good world. Not an evil world, but a good world. Now we can use the physical world for evil. And we can use our physical bodies for evil. But they're not in and of themselves evil. The Scriptures teach that we have both a physical and spiritual. We are both physical and spiritual beings. I got curious about this. Our physical body, made up of a, a number of different chemicals, mainly oxygen, hydrogen, nitrogen, carbon, calcium, and phosphorus. There are other elements in, in, in our human body, in our physical body, but, but mainly those. And according to the website that I looked at, if you were to put a value on the, the chemical composition of our bodies, we're worth about $160. <laughs> it's not very much, is it? But, but we have a physical body. You can weigh it. You can measure it. You can analyze it. And you can even put a value on it for that matter. But we also have a spirit or a soul that's not made of material elements. The critical difference between the two is that the spirit is, is immortal. It's going to go on. The physical body will die and decay, but the spirit will continue. So we, that's a very important point that I want to try to get across. There's a spiritual world out there. It's just as real as the world in which we live. That's where God is. That's where the angels are. Satan is there as well. But we have a spirit that is going to exist in that world also. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 12 in verse 7 says that the body will return to the earth, but the spirit will return to God who gave it. So the spirit goes to God, into the spirit realm. The spirit goes to God who made it. And there are a number of other passages in the Bible that illustrate that. You might remember in Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, Jesus is, uh, is uh, in connection with uh, his, his, his crucifixion. Verse 46 says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
And so he knows his fleshly body is about to decay and the spirit is about to depart. And into your hands I commit my spirit. And he tells the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, Jesus knows that he's going to die that day, but, but today I'm going to continue to live even though my physical body dies. I'm going to continue to live and this thief will be with him in paradise. If you go to Acts chapter 7, uh, and uh, the episode concerning the death of Stephen, Acts 7, verse 59, as Stephen is dying, he calls on the Lord and says, Receive my spirit. He, he's about to die. He's being stoned to death. His body's going to die. It's going to decay. But, but Lord, receive my spirit. I have a spirit that's going to continue to live on after I die. And we could go on and on. Perhaps you remember from our study in Revelation, Revelation chapter 6, John says, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. So the souls of men were there in, in spiritual form, spiritual condition, even after they had died. And so our physical body is going to die, it's going to decay, it's going to go back to the earth, came from dust, it's going back to the dust, but our spirit is going to continue. Our soul, and I'm using those words interchangeably as synonyms in this, in this case, but it's going to continue. And so what's true of the physical body is true of the physical world in general. The physical world is going to be destroyed. The physical world is going to pass away. Remember in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. In the book of Hebrews chapter 1, find a quotation from the Old Testament, which is to the same effect. Verse 10, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will become old like a garment, and like a, a mantle, you'll roll them up. Like a garment, they'll be changed, but you are the same. And your years will not come to an end. So here's the contrast between God and the physical world. It's going to come to an end. It's going to perish, but you will remain. You may have already been thinking about 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter talks about this physical world and the, the end of it. It says in verse 10, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with intense heat, <clears throat> and the earth and its works will be burned up. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, The heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so this physical world is going to perish it's going to be burned up, and a new heaven and new earth, a spiritual one, a spiritual place where we exist will we'll be there. And then we might just ask, in what condition will our spirits exist? Well, the Bible teaches us that we'll exist even in, either in heaven, a place of reward, or in hell, a place of eternal punishment. You can see this, for example, in Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus describes the coming judgment. The Son of Man will come in glory, all the angels with Him, sit on His glorious throne, the nations will be gathered before Him. He'll separate them from one another as the, sheep separates the, sheep, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
He'll put the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left. He'll say to those on the right hand, Come, you, are, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And so they're entering into this place of joy and happiness and bliss. And then on the other hand, there are some who are sent away. Verse 41, he'll say to those on the left, Depart from me, you accursed ones, into eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Pretty quick survey of the spiritual realm. God is the greatest being in the spiritual realm. There are other spiritual beings, Satan and demons and angels. And at times these have come into contact with people in the physical realm. So we know that it's a real place, that it has existence and just as real as the world that we live in. And we are spiritual beings as well. No, we have a physical body. But this physical body is going to die and it's going to go back to the dust. It's going to go back to the ground. But our spirits will continue to live on. Our, our spirits will depart from our bodies and will either live in heaven, a place of great reward, or will be in hell, a place of eternal fire. So I said in our study in, in the Bible class this morning that you know, the sermon isn't complete until there's an application. So far, there has had been very, very much of an application. So we get to that part of the lesson. What does all this mean to, to me? As I, as I make choices, as I evaluate circumstances, as, as I'm faced with a decision, should I do this or this? How should all this impact the way I live my life? Well, it has a great impact on the way we live our lives. It has a tremendous impact on the way we live our lives. You see. Since the physical world is temporary, including our bodies, but the spiritual realm is eternal, we, we shouldn't lay up treasure on the earth, but in heaven. And so Matthew, that comes from Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus issues one of the many warnings about this in Scripture. He tells us in verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on the earth, where moth and rust destroy. The very thing that we've been talking about. The physical things that we have are going to decay. They're going to be destroyed. For thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so, it would be foolish for us, wouldn't it? It would be foolish for us to spend all of our time, all of our energy, all of our focus in accumulating more and more and more things of this world. And yet, when they're going to pass away eventually. And we might enjoy them for a time, but in eternity, we look back and say, well, you know, what a foolish choice I made. Don't lay up for yourself treasure on the earth. These are temporary things. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. Those are eternal things. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, describes uh, the elements of this world, the material things of this world as, as deceitful, the de deceitful wealth that chokes out the word. And I think what's so deceitful about the material world is that it just draws us in deeper and deeper and deeper, more, more deeply than we realize. And we become more and more attached to our material, more and more really than, than we realize. And, and we're committed to them more and more than we think we are. 
Or the rich young ruler illustrates that, doesn't it? Here's a man, comes to Jesus, wonderful question. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Well, sell everything you've got and, and come and follow me. And just unwilling to do it. And on that occasion, Jesus says, you know, it's really hard. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, I think about our situation and our, our status in the world. We're wealthy people compared to much of the world. How attached are we to our things, to the material? How foolish it will be if we were to gain everything we wanted in life. We had everything we ever hoped for but we, we lose our soul in the process. So, and so as we face decision, how much work should I do? How much time do I devote to work? Do I allow my work and my career and my interest in this thing or that thing, should I allow it to, uh, to, to come and get in the way of? And should I allow it to influence me to compromise and neglect my spiritual duty? All right, those are real decisions that we have to make. And understanding that there is a spiritual realm that's just as real as our world. <laughs> and we're, we're going to spend eternity there. You see, that's going, to, that's going to have a tremendous bearing on the decision we make. This physical world is temporary. The spiritual realm is eternal. We, we shouldn't indulge the flesh, but prepare the spirit for eternity. Yeah, the, the flesh and blood doesn't inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, but, but our spirit will. And so we need to prepare the spirit for eternity. Don't fear the one that can kill the body but can't kill the soul. But fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And so again, what, what's it going to profit us if we gain the whole world, if we have everything that brings us pleasure in life, if we as Solomon did in the book of Ecclesiastes, if we don't withhold anything we want from our hand, we, we, we have everything all the time. And yet we lose our soul. What have we gained? You see, this is what we're trying to do right here. When I say don't indulge the flesh, we learn to practice self-control and self-restraint. We discipline our bodies. We don't give in to the temptations of the flesh and just live a self-indulgent life and, you know, all of those things. Just live according to the flesh. You know, what we're trying to do in here this morning is prepare our spirit for eternity and, and give, give each ourselves from the Word the information that we need to prepare for eternity. You know, God would have all men to come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. You know, there are certain things you need to know to be saved. That's what we're trying to do right here. We're trying to encourage each other not to live so much according to the flesh, but, but walk according to the Spirit and enjoy eternal life. How do we walk by the Spirit? Well, we take the things of the Spirit, we incorporate them into our lives, and we let the Spirit lead us in that way. Amos chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Prepare to meet your God. That's what we're trying Prepare to meet your God. Not, not necessarily in a physical way, but stand before Him in judgment and face an eternity in the spiritual realm, in either heaven or hell. Get ready. That's what we're trying to do. Get each other ready for that day. And then finally we'll say we should seek the kingdom of heaven first rather than the kingdoms of the earth. 
Boy, when we get all involved in this world, and I'm thinking especially about the political movements of this world, and we, we just we immerse ourselves in them, and you know, we get all enthusiastic about it, and you know, what our party is trying to do, what the other party is trying to do, and we just become overcome with political interest of this world. Why? <laughs> this world is passing away. This kingdom is passing away. This nation is passing away. And, and, and we're going to live on after this, after this nation is, is long gone. Jesus never ran for office, never campaigned for a political candidate. You see, his focus was on a different kingdom. Matthew chapter 4, he went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. He went about preaching the gospel of the kingdom, verse 23 of Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, again, he went about preaching the kingdom of God. Verse 17, he said, repent, for the kingdom of, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, he says, pray to his disciples at that time, your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And of course in 6.33 he says, seek first the kingdom of God, his kingdom and his righteousness, and the things that you need will be added to you. Again, the, we sing this song sometimes, I don't think we've sung it in a while, the kingdoms of earth pass away one by one, but the kingdom of heaven remains. Maybe our candidate will win. We may get things in the country just exactly the way we want them. <laughs> but eventually it'll all be left behind. It, it, it'll all be gone. Be gone with the wind. And then what? And then what? We need to be careful about it. See, you see, understanding that there is a spiritual realm, we're going to be a part of that throughout eternity. <laughs> From now on, it's going to last forever. There's a spiritual realm out there that is of much more value than the physical world. And so why am I getting all caught up and concerned in the physical world when it's only temporary anyway? At best, it's temporary. And so this has a great impact on the way we view our world and the decisions that, that we make. I've said, as I've gone through a few times, the spiritual world is just as real, if not more real, than the physical. What, what I mean by that is this physical world is going away. It's gonna, not going to exist anymore, eventually. But you see, the spiritual realm will exist from now on. That's why I say, maybe imperfectly, the spiritual world may be even more real in this physical world, don't, don't, don't be deceived. The world is passing away. Our souls will continue on. Do not live for this world, but prepare for eternity. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this opportunity to come before you today and to offer our worship to you. We praise you. We glorify you. We express our adoration to you and our devotion to you. We pray, Father, that we've done this in an acceptable way, that you have accepted our worship today. We're thankful for the opportunity to look into your word and to be reminded of some fundamental truths. 
that although we are created in a physical world and created in your image, you've created us as spiritual beings as well. Help us, Father, to make good decisions that prepare our spirit and our soul for eternity. Help us, Father, to make the decisions that will enable us to be in eternity with you and in your glory forever and ever. We understand, Father, that this physical world has its limits and it will come to an end. And so help us to avoid the temptations of the material world around us, the temptations of the flesh, the temptation to focus too much on the kingdoms of this world rather than the kingdom of heaven. Help us to grow more and more, Father, spiritually what you would have us to be. And help us to be ready when we stand before you in judgment. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.